This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. During the winter of 2022 and 2023, we'll be studying the first 11 chapters of John. I'm Dwayne McCreary, your host, and today I'm being joined once again by Mike Livingston. Mike was with us uh, three weeks ago. Today, we're going to be looking at session eight. We'll be looking at John chapter six. Um, Mike, thank you for being with us today. Thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, the outline is, follows these three points, wants, manna, and satisfied. Wants deals with verses 26 through 29 of John 6. In these verses, we find a crowd that's formed around Jesus in Capernaum. He confronted them about their motives for seeking him. He challenged them to seek the spiritual food he provided. They responded by asking for the ability to do the same works as he had. He directed them to believe in the one God sent. The point for us is that people must examine their motives for following Jesus. The second point, manna, comes from verses 30 through 34 of John 6. The people then asked Jesus for a sign, pointing to God's giving manna to the Israelites in the wilderness. Jesus reminded them that God provided the manna. He asserted that God provides spiritual bread that gives life. The people then asked for this bread to be provided. The takeaway for us is that believers find true nourishment in the truth of the gospel. The last section, verses 35 through 40, we've entitled Satisfied. In these verses, Jesus declared himself to be the life-giving bread sent from the Father. He explained that all who believe in him will be satisfied. Jesus promised that all who believe in him will never be cast out, but will be secured and raised on the last day. The point for us is that a believer's security comes through faith in Jesus. This is one of those kind of pivotal passages uh, in the Gospel of John. Um, we've been looking at some of the miracles, the seven signs that take place that we've got to pack item, pack item three, list those seven signs, changing water to wine, healing the official son, healing the invalid at Bethsaida, feeding the 5,000, which is a context for what we're looking at today. We've got three more after this, walking on water, healing the, mind, the man born blind, and then raising Lazarus. But one of the interesting things about this passage is this is also the first I am. Uh, in the Gospel of John, you have seven I am's. I'm the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the resurrection and the life, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life, and then I am the true vine. So both one of the seven signs and one of the seven I am statements in the same place. So that's why this is pivotal. And this is the first of the I am statements, I am bread. Uh, I just wanted to share that as background before we get into this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, why was it important for the people to voice their motives for seeking Jesus? Yeah, the Bible has a lot to say about motives, doesn't it? I mean, um, uh, a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives in Proverbs or James, you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Um, so the Bible has a whole lot to say about motives. God cares about motives. 
you know, and it's usually it's usually a good thing. You'd say it's a commendable thing when people seek Jesus. I mean, that's 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 a good thing, isn't it? But the day after Jesus fed the five thousand, the the crowd um, who experienced that, they go looking for Jesus, searching for Jesus. And when they found him, when they finally found him, Jesus didn't commend them at all for for searching. In fact, he confronted them for looking for him for all the wrong reasons, because he knew their motives. He knew their true motives. He knew why they wanted to find him. It's not that they wanted him, is they want what they could get from him. And that's an important distinction. It's not really Jesus they were seeking, really, it was rather what they could get from Jesus that they were after, which would be more food. Uh, and so Jesus says to them, you're, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and you were filled and you just want more of that. And um, we, we certainly don't want to imply that Jesus didn't care about their physical needs because he's, I mean, right, he, he, he demonstrated that already, that he did care, right? The day before, he's already fed them. So it's not that he didn't care about their physical needs, but he wanted them to be more concerned about spiritual things that last for eternity than they were material things that are temporal. You mentioned the looking for a sign in the leader guide and in the daily discipleship guide in the group plans. We're encouraged to separate the group into teams uh, and then assign them one of these four passages, Matthew 12, 38 through 41, Mark 5, 32, John 6, 12 through 14, and John 20. 30 through 32. Well, all of these um, passages that I just listed deal with a sign in some form or fashion. And so the idea is that when we're teaching, we come to this point, we assign those verses to be read. They compare those verses with what we see here in verse, verse 30 specifically, which we're about to, to move into, and then have them share their insights from what they discovered and then ask why do people insist on a sign to validate their faith which is a question in both the personal study guide and the daily discipleship guide so my question for us in response to that mike do people still want to see a sign today and if so how can it be a subtle thing even for a believer i'll start with a not so subtle way that you see this happening today and move into a more subtle way then the not so subtle way is what we call the prosperity gospel that emphasizes health and and wealth and you know people who buy into this generally seek to use jesus as the means by which to receive temporal material things which is not the gospel at all and i think that is a not so subtle way you see people doing this what we're looking at in this this passage you know jesus mentions moses and he mentions manna in this in this passage referring back to the wilderness experience and there's another part of that story of the manna in the wilderness and moses that i think speaks to this question uh when when the israelites um sinned against the lord and constructed the the golden calf god told moses you know, I said, I, I, I'll give you the land, but I'm not going with you. You know, you're, you'll go on your own. You, he, said, he said, go up to that land, and, and, but I'm not going with you because you're a stiff-necked people. And if I go with you, I might destroy you on the way. And uh, Moses replied by saying, Lord, if you don't go, 
with us, then don't make us don't make us go. I, I don't want to go without you. So what Moses is saying is, I, he says, Lord, I, I don't want the promised land without you. So if the choice was between God's blessing and God's presence, Moses would choose God's presence because he wanted God more than he wanted the land. And he was saying, I'd rather stay here in the desert with you than live in the promised land, the land of milk and honey without you. Yes. Contrast that to what these people were, were doing. What were they were looking for when they were looking for Jesus that day? And the reality, you know, we're, the reality for us is that there are a lot of, a lot of people who identify themselves as Christians who simply are not hungry for spiritual things. They're not hungry for God. They're hungry for, for all the wrong things. You know, even, even a, a, a hunger for Bible knowledge is not, is not necessarily a hunger for God. I mean, that's, we're talking about even mm. different things there. Yeah, very different, very um, different. So the psalmist, you know, Psalm 42, you know, the psalmist talks about <clears throat> how a, a deer longs for flowing streams. And so he says, I, in the same way, I long for you, God. I thirst for God. And that's what God wants of us. He wants people who are hungry and thirsty for him, not just what he gives us, but him. And that's, that's, that's what, that's eternal life. That's what eternal life means. Jesus said in John 17, three, this, this is eternal life that you may know him uh, is what John said. So, you know, and, and thinking about Moses here, think about all that Moses had experienced even to that point. You know, he, the, the burning bush, the, the parting of the sea, the manna from heaven, he experienced all these things. And you get to Exodus 33, verse 13, and, and Moses says, if I have found favor with you, teach me your ways, and I will know you. In other words, I want to know more of you. In, in spite of everything he's already seen and experienced, he says, I want to know you more. So that leads me in, into the subtle way that you see people doing what those did in, in, with Jesus when they were looking for him that day. A very subtle way that we fall into this is even in, in the way that we pray and the things we pray for. You know, if you look at the prayers of Scripture, not only the prayers of Moses, but the prayers of Paul. Look at the prayers that Paul prayed in Ephesians and how that sets an example for us. And the things that we need to be praying for, when you read Paul's prayers, what you're struck, what I'm struck by is that so many things that are the focus of our prayers are, are totally absent from his. There's an absence of material issues in Paul's prayer. He's writing from prison, but he doesn't really pray about that. He's not praying, God, get me out of here. He's writing to believers who share so many of the same concerns that you and I share. You know, they have husbands and wives and children and jobs, and they're concerned about health and, and food and clothing, and there's no mention of these things in Paul's prayers for them. And what we learn from how Paul prayed and what we learn from how Moses prayed is that spiritual matters need to be the focus of our prayers, not the entirety of our prayers, but the, the real focus of our prayers. Because when Paul prayed, he had his eyes fixed on eternal things, and his prayers reflected that. I think that I think that maybe answers your, your question in a, in a way. Our, our view of faith uh, is is probably skewed at that point, where we think faith is determined by 
something we already can see and have in our hands, while faith is really about something we don't see and have in our hands. And we forget that. Uh, Jesus and manna, they brought up this idea of manna. How do they compare to each other, Jesus and manna? They're similar in that they're both gifts from heaven. Um, They're similar in that manna had to be picked up and eaten. And the bread of life must also be received and appropriated by faith. Um, They're different, but they're different significantly. Uh, The manna gave nourishment, but not life. It gave physical nourishment. Uh, Manna met a physical need, a temporal need. Jesus' bread of life meets a spiritual need, an eternal need. Manna was given for the Jews. The bread of life is given, it says in uh, John 6 here, that it gives life to the world or to all of those who receive him. Uh, You've already mentioned how um, this is the first of the I am statements uh, Jesus made in his gospel. And those I am statements certainly reveal something about Jesus, who he is. Uh, I am is God's name as God revealed it to Moses uh, at the burning bush. So when Jesus uses I am, he's affirming himself as God. He's affirming himself as the one who alone can satisfy our deepest spiritual needs. This passage includes a critical, really, verses about the security of the believer, verses 37 through 40. Everyone the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will who sent me, verse 39, that I should lose none of them, none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Help us unpack the teaching about security of the believer in light of this passage. We, we ought to have absolutely absolute certainty about some things. And knowing that our salvation is secure is one of those things that we should have absolute certainty about. And the same John who wrote this gospel wrote in 1 John, these things I've written that you, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, you may know that you have eternal life. And I think, I think the fact that John wrote that, to me, at least suggests that there were some believers who, who didn't have that certainty. They, they had doubts. And I think, I think you can be a, a believer and struggle with doubts. I, I think that's possible, um, but we have here in John 6, the verses that you read referred to, I, I think this is one of the most critical passages in all of scripture on the security of, of the believer, um, and there's, there's, yeah, there's a whole lot here we could look at in, in verse 37, John 6, 37 speaks of God's initiative in salvation, that God is the initiator in salvation. He talks about everyone the Father gives me will come. So God is the one, first of all, God is the one who takes the initiative in our salvation, but also states our responsibility that we are to come to Christ in faith. Um, it, is, it is an individual's responsibility to come. No one can come for you or force you to come. It is your responsibility to 
to respond to God's initiative of salvation. And then there's the promise that those who do that, those who come to Jesus, will never be cast out. And Jesus there emphasized that he's not going to lose anyone that the Father gives to him. The Son came to carry out the Father's will. The Father's will is that he, the Son, keep and not lose any of those given to him, and he's going to raise them up to eternal salvation at the last day. And that's a great promise. And then verse 40 is a kind of summary of, of the verses that come before. It says those who see and believe in him will have eternal life, and they will be raised up on the last day. Eternal life is what we have now. Eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts now and continues past death into eternity. So if, if you believe in Christ today and you have eternal life, but you lose it tomorrow, then it was never eternal at all. It was, that wasn't eternal life. So I think, I think the great promise in these verses that we can cling to is that our security is the result of God keeping us. It's God's promise to us that God keeps us. It's not because we, we're able to maintain anything, or not because we're able to hold on to our salvation, but because God holds on to us. And that's his promise, that he will hold on to, to those who are his. So where does our assurance come from? The basis of our assurance, it comes from his word and his promise. So if you're looking for assurance, or if you have people in your group who are struggling with doubts about, you know, salvation and assurance, then, you know, we don't, we don't look for a particular sign. We don't look for a particular feeling. We just look at his word and what he says and what he promises. And we just, we trust his word because this is his promise to us. Yeah, it's not based on our ability at that point. It's based on his ability. Exactly. And that's an important element that you see in this passage. The, the key doctrine yeah. for this passage is entitled God's Purpose of Grace. And it says, believers shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. It gives us two verses here, Psalm 97.10 and 1 Peter 1.5. Well, what are some ways we might use that? that uh, key doctrine in, in our, with our group on Sunday or whatever day we meet, Mike. I mean, say a word about the key doctrine. Um, Cause sometimes we get questions about the key doctrine. Um, and so this, this is a good place to, to clarify where that comes from. That's actually a, a statement, a word for word statement out of the Baptist faith and message. Um, and, and you can read uh, the, the fuller, there's, there's, there's a fuller statement that you can look at. We're just taking, we're taking a sentence out of a, a fuller, you know, statement on this. Uh, and you may want to look at the whole thing and, and you can do that. And, and we, there's a, there's a website uh, we, we point you to, I, I believe it's on page four. It's on the page in your book where the writer's names are mentioned, where our names are mentioned down in that, in that small print down there at the bottom, uh, it'll, it'll tell you that, that our doctrinal guideline can be found at lifeway.com slash doctrinal guideline. And there you'll find that's the Baptist faith and message. You can read the fuller statement from which this key doctrine comes. And not only that, but it will list uh, a lot of scripture references that support that key doctrine. We, we typically list only two of those. So if you want some other scripture references to support the, that doctrinal statement, or if you want a little more 
content there about that doctrine, then go there. You can read the whole thing and you can see a lot of scripture references that would support that doctrinal statement. That website again is lifeway.com forward slash doctrinal guideline. And it's singular, not plural, not an S on the end of guideline. It's singular yeah. and there's no spaces. So it's lifeway.com forward slash doctrinal guideline. Mike, any other key thoughts or ideas you would have about John chapter six here? No, I think that's, that's about it. <laughs> well, once we're secure, though we're secure. We've wrapped it up at that point, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. Mike, thank you for being with us today. I want to thank our listeners today for listening. Uh, if you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send me an email at Dwayne McCrary at lifeway.com. That's Dwayne, D-W-A-Y-N-E dot McCrary, M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at lifeway.com. You'll find that information in your uh, different resources from Explore the Bible as well. I'll do my best to answer your question. If I don't know the answer, uh, I'll find the right person who can answer that question. Join me next week. I'll be joined by Rob Timms. We're looking at session nine. We're looking at John chapter seven, verses 14 through 29. And in those verses, we're going to be looking at the idea that Jesus was sent by the Father so we could know the Father. Mm -hmm.